0: Someone You Should Know, know. a program about people you know, and even more that you don't. Hosted by Stuart Sachs, veteran, husband, father, and grandfather. Now, here's your host, Stuart Sachs. Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Someone You Should Know. Glad to have you with us, as I'm glad to have you here every Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock. Uh, It's a brand new year, and uh, we've got some great shows lined up for you this year. And we are brought to you today in part by No Sweat Experts. You know, we're almost to that point where we may be getting out of winter and heading towards spring. Make sure your system is working properly, especially as we get through the January and February and March uh, weather. Contact Roy and his gang over at No Sweat Experts. They know what they're doing. They are experts at what they do. They don't come out twice a year like most of the the companies. They come out four times a year on their program. They're good. They're qualified. They're reasonably priced. And uh, reach out. No sweat experts. Well, I want to welcome to the show Doug Knoll. Uh, And Doug is a rather interesting guy because he's... uh, He's been around the legal profession for a long time, but what drew me to, to inviting Doug onto the show was uh, Doug's an expert at helping people stop arguments. And boy, I can't, I can't think of a more timely time in our lives where where, that it's important for people to learn how to stop arguing than when we're living today. So, Doug, you know how yeah, I uh, you and you take all the time you want. Uh, we'll talk about the book, but what is the, the if there's one key point that people need to to get into their system uh, about avoiding arguments, what is it?
1: Well, Stuart, it's this. I mean, this is the insight <clears throat> that we've been told for four thousand years that human nature, what makes us human is rationality. That's a lie. What makes us human is emotions. We're 98% emotional and only 2% rational. And the moment you get that insight and start understanding that all fights and arguments are emotional, all conflicts are emotional, all upset is emotional, then you're ready to start learning the skills that deal with emotions. And, and as I tell my graduate students, you cannot solve an emotional problem with logic. You have to use emotional tools. And I've developed a set of emotional tools uh, over the years that I can de-escalate any angry person in less than 90 seconds. And, and that's your book. And, and I mean, I, I, I thought,
0: wait a minute, I got to read the title of this book a few times because I just can't believe that there is that, that it's even feasible or possible
1: to de-escalate an yards or less? Well, Stuart, it's all based on brain science. Um, I was a lawyer, t- civil, practicing civil trial lawyer for 22 years. I left, the, I left the practice in mid-career after I earned my master's degree in peacemaking and conflict studies to become a peacemaker. And the one thing that I didn't have uh, of all the brilliant things that my teachers taught me during that graduate study was how to calm angry people. And as a professional mediator and peacemaker, um, I am often called in to high intense conflicts where there's a lot of emotion, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. And I'm getting paid big dollars to get things calmed down so people can start solving them. And I had no no good tools that worked. I had looked at nonviolent communication. I looked at active listening, all the other different modalities that are out there that have been around since, since the 1950s. It's all garbage. None of it works. Uh, never has worked, never will work. And yet it's still being taught because nobody had anything different. Well, as a result of my studies back in the late 90s where i started studying neuroscience uh, i began to realize that emotion arises in the brain and that therefore there have to be interventions that could work and one day in 2005 i was confronted with an extremely difficult conflict and um, the thought came to me listen to the emotions and so that's what i had these people do i had instead of telling stories i had well i would have one person tell the story and then the other person would say, you are angry, you're frustrated, you're upset. I just had them label the emotions. And it was like magic. It calmed these people down almost instantly. Before we started, if there'd been knives on the table, there would have been blood on the floor. When we were finally done in about four hours, they, it, this was a divorced couple. They got up holding hands and went out and had lunch with each other. I mean, it was unbelievable what happened. I knew what i'd done i started doing i did it again another high conflict and i saw the same results every single time and then several years later matthew Lieberman's lab at ucla published a brain scanning study that shows what happens in the brain when you label somebody's emotions it turns out that it changes the brain chemistry in a really radical way and it inhibits the emotional centers of the brain while at the same time activating a part of the brain called the right ventral lateral prefrontal cortex, which is our executive function. So in essence, when you're really upset, if I label your emotions, I am loaning you my prefrontal cortex for the time it takes you to calm down, which is about 90 seconds. And it works every single time. It works unconsciously. There's not a human brain on the planet that will not respond to this because it's how we're hardwired. It's phenomenal how it works.
0: I'm I'm, I'm almost speechless. I'm, (laughs) <laughs> so it is <it>, so, <laughs> and that's and that's tough for a talk show host to become <laughs> speechless. So it's recognizing the emotional side of the argument uh because obviously in in a situation where you you mentioned uh between spouses uh, an argument starts your tendency is one-upsmanship right one to be right. To, Yeah. Yeah. Fight to be right. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, and, and also that can mean, uh, uh, in, I can, I can make my voice louder than your voice in order to make my point known, but that is not, that's not the best avenue to
1: take in order to try and win that argument. It's not. And, And listen to what you just said, because there's a deep insight there. My voice is louder than your voice. So I can make my point known. Really what's my voice is louder than your voice because you're not listening to me. And so I'm gonna raise my voice and start shouting at you until you listen to me. And that's that's why you see this escalation in arguments with voices is because neither side is feeling deeply heard. And the secret is to listen to the emotions. And then that validates people in a very deep way. They feel deeply heard and they immediately calm down. I mean, immediately, within seconds. Well, and, and I, I do have one of those loud voices because,
0: (laughs) because it's a, it's a trained voice. Uh, and my wife very often will say, if you don't calm down and, and speak softly, then, then this, this discussion is over and I'm just not going any further. And, and I mean, nothing will deflate your, your, your wanting to continue with an argument, than somebody that says, uh, I'm not going to let you go any further.
1: Right. Well, that that is certainly one approach. But a more effective approach would be to say, Stuart, you're really angry. Man, you are really pissed off. You're frustrated. You don't feel like anybody's listening to you. You don't feel appreciated or supported. You feel completely disrespected. And you're anxious and worried and concerned. And that's really kind of driving you crazy. And you're a little embarrassed that you get upset. And you're sad and, and, and you feel distressed that you get so angry so quickly and at the end of the day you feel really abandoned and unloved and unlovable
0: so but, then atta- attacking it head-on during the argumentative uh, uh, time is better than just duking it out verbally and then 20 minutes later uh, like I often do, uh, crawl back and just say,
1: "I'm sorry." Right. Uh, I raised my voice. I shouldn't have. I apologize. You do. You do too much damage in the argument itself that oftentimes cannot be fixed. And and one of the if you really want intimacy in a relationship, you've got to create emotional safety. Most people have never experienced emotional safety before. And what you, what, what you want to do is when somebody gets angry or upset, you want to create emotional safety so they have a space to be as emotional as they need to be while you maintain a non-reactive, non-critical, non-judgmental stance. And you're just not going to react or, or counterattack. Or, and you're just going to sit there and listen and reflect their emotions and let them be how they have to be until they calm down. And when you do that, you the other person feels deeply validated and they calm down, and they're extremely grateful that you took the time to listen them into I call it the phrase I use is calling listening them into existence. So you listen them into existence at their time of upset. And all that does is deepen the bonds between you. If you're a leader in an organization and you want to become the leader that everyone wants to follow, you do the same thing. You listen to people's emotions, not their words, and you reflect back their emotional state. and and you will gain a cadre of loyal people that will do anything for you as a leader. Is that easily learned
0: uh, someone to, to, to learn how to read people's emotions?
1: I teach. uh, I'm the co-founder with my colleague, Laura Coffer uh, of the prison of peace project. And for the last 13 years, we've been training incarcerated people in maximum security prisons around the world, how to, become powerful mediators and peacemakers to stop prison violence. And the very first skill we teach them is how to deescalate anger by listening to and reflecting emotions. And we've trained over 25,000 people over all these years. Um, We get letters from wardens saying that the prison violence has dropped dramatically as a result of prison of peace. We have hundreds of stories of our students talking about how they stopped riots and fights and murders in prison because they were able to deescalate the situation almost immediately. And in California, we've had over six thousand of our students released on parole. Not one of them, not one of them, has ever reoffended again. That's how powerful this stuff is. Wow, that's almost hard to believe. It's it's the truth, and it's I mean, uh, and it's it's all it's a result of the training we give them. Same training I give on the outside. And how long does it take to learn this stuff? Four to six weeks of constant practice and coaching. Typically.
0: Do you, do you find that, that working with some of these prisoners in, in this program, that once they catch on, that they become mentors to others uh, and, and in, in essence, pay it
1: forward. That's right. And, and our program has always been designed to be sustainable. So we go into a, a prison or a prison yard with the idea that we are going to train, uh, we are going to train trainers that are going to continue the program. So we teach our incarcerated people, the, the ones that want to become trainers, we teach them how to train. And to your point, they become mentors and teachers to other people in the prison. And that's why we've always worked with long-termers and lifers because they're going to be in the prison the longest. So we invest a lot of time and effort in them. And then they become the trainers and teachers and carry it on. And, and as I said, you know, we can in a, in a prison yard of a thousand inmates, if we can train up thirty or forty people in in our skill sets and turn them into mediators, the, the violence usually drops precipitously in that yard. And that's why in some yards the inmates don't want us because they're gang controlled and they don't want to give up the the violence is a way of form of social control and they don't want to give that up. And the last thing they want to do is have people talking civilly to each other. They'd rather assert authority through threats and coercion and and uh, violence was the 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 prison of peace project born from your you know career as a trial lawyer <laughs> no surprisingly enough i had nothing to do my work was all in complex civil litigation financial litigation so i and i tried a lot of trials but i i had nothing to do with the criminal justice system no the project came about as as a result of a letter that Laurel Coffer, my colleague and dear friend, received from a woman serving a life sentence without possibility of parole, asking Laurel to come into this, the largest, most violent women's prison in the world, to teach the women, the lifers, how to become mediators and peacemakers to stop prison violence. And we responded to that. Uh, She and I responded to it. And it took us six months to get permission, but we started it in uh, April of 2010 with our first 15 women. And today we're in active in 30 prisons around the world and we're probably in 2023 that'll probably quadruple uh because we were able to we filmed our entire curriculum during the pandemic so now it's available in any language okay so so you are physically not
0: going into to each of those prisons to to do this that that is it's a program that you have pre-recorded so that it's available and and the,
1: the the inmates simply need to sit down and concentrate on it. Basically, that's correct. Well, I I think I may go into I'm not going into prisons today post-pandemic. I mean, for from 2010 until 2019, when when everything erupted, or March of 2020 is when we shut down. Um, I was in. Three or four prisons a week working working hands-on with inmates and of course the pandemic hit right. prison shut down no outside programming we didn't want to go in and we still haven't gotten back to doing live programming but what we have done recognizing the problem with covid and if who knows what the next disease is going to be um but when we got everything on video and filmed with a very high production quality we had a hollywood film crew come in and spend too much shooting this thing. Um, now we can deliver it everywhere and we don't need to be physically imprisoned to do it.
0: Well, not, not only now can you, can you uh, teach it virtually, but as you said earlier, as you train those inmates uh, in the process and everything, they now become the live you know, in your in your face uh, mentors
1: to, right. to work with the with the prisoners. That's correct. And so they will become facilitators when we train them how to facilitate the, the the curriculum. They don't have to teach anything. They just have to facilitate it. And we have we've written all we got extensive training manuals that we use that we've written that so that anybody can take this material and, and use it. We're going to be offering it to not only to prisons and jails, but also to reentry facilities residences to domestic relations shelters wherever people are that have experienced violence in their lives that want to find a different way of responding to fights and arguments and that's that's kind of what prison at peace is all about and then professionally I do the same thing only I charge a lot of money for it <laughs> yeah yeah but I work in I, I work in institutions and corporations and education I trained principals and school administrators how to de-escalate angry parents and students um, in various levels of discussions with law enforcement about taking these skills into law enforcement uh, and then in the corporate arena, you know, I'm, I'm training leaders, how to use these skills to to become, as I said, the leader that everyone wants to follow. And interestingly, I'm coming across a lot of highly successful professionals and executives who, who, who they've spent their whole career becoming successful, but they're not happy. And when you learn these skills, you become happy because you're authentic and present and uh, intimate with the people that are most important to you. And this is a skill that has to be learned. these skills are counterintuitive. You would never figure these skills out on your own. yeah you're 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 right and and and
0: as I said at the onset of the show, we live not only in a in a uh, a political environment today. Uh, but a social environment where it, it seems that that being argumentative is like a starting point. Uh, that we've we have we have lost the ability to reason and negotiate with each other to try and get things done. It's my my way or the highway, uh, and and it it's something that that I think. I think everybody and and, and it'll be scrolling across the the screen folks that are watching and and listening and I'll go to the website and learn more a little bit about, uh, about Doug's book, deescalate. Um, I mean, I think deescalate is, is a great, great title in itself, but the subtitle is how to calm an angry person in 90 seconds or less. Um, I mean, 90, if, if I could learn how to how to de-escalate an argument with my wife in 90 seconds or less, <laughs>
1: I think I should learn how. It's priceless. It's priceless information. And it works because it's as I said, it's based on how our brains are actually hardwired. So it never fails. It never yeah. fails. And you know, I'm the only one out there in the world teaching this, which is why I enjoy coming onto these podcasts and talking about it because it is mind-blowing for people. But it's a foundational skill of life. And once you learn it, I, I will guarantee you that if you take the time to learn these skills, you will never have a fight or argument again in your life with anybody anywhere. And you won't be a pushover. Uh,
0: again I'm 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 dumbfounded. It just it it just I mean, do you find people say, Doug, no way. Uh-huh, all the time <laughs> i just you know you you are so wrong you cannot possibly do that
1: yeah i get that all the, i don't i don't get it all the time but but when i when when i hear that i just respond to say so you're in a state of disbelief and shock and confusion and you're a little frightened and scared because this sounds really weird to you and yeah. you feel like you're you feel a little bit like you're being put upon and you feel like your own opinions are 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 not being heard or respected. and so you really you're, you're, your incredulity about this is just is just is upsetting to you and frustrating. and you don't feel like anybody can do what, deliver what I'm delivering. And so, so, so notice what so, I did is I just affect labeled your' upset and they calmed down and they said, all right, you don't have to take it from me, but take let's read the book, take one of my courses you know, and judge for yourself, keep an open mind about this. Or if
0: you land up in, if you land in prison, then, uh, you can, you can take the course in prison. Right, You can take
1: the course in prison.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What, what, what was it that made you, made you turn from, from, you know, trial lawyer to peacemaker?
1: Well, that's an interesting story, Stuart. Uh, in the 1980s, uh, I took up the martial arts. And by the time I was 40 years old, I'd earned my second degree black belt in a Northern Chinese style. And my teacher at that time said, go study Tai Chi. You, you, you know way more about martial arts than you need to know right now for who you are. So Tai Chi as a martial art has two interesting paradoxes <laughs> That. Well, frankly, to go back, he said, you're an arrogant asshole. You know, you're going to hurt somebody. Go learn Tai Chi. <laughs> he was right. I was going to say, if, if, arguing right. does, if arguing doesn't work, I, I could take you out other ways. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I started studying Tai Chi as a martial art. And Tai Chi has two really interesting paradoxes. The first is the softer you are, the stronger you are, the more vulnerable you are the more powerful you are soft to be strong vulnerable to be powerful well first this didn't click it didn't compute I was a hardcore yeah. aggressive civil trial lawyer secondary black belt you know I mean come on give me a break <laughs> but it did it yeah. soaked in yeah. until, until some years later mid 90s I was in trial and cross-examining somebody and the thought came to me what the heck am I doing in here and that was the, that was the shift because after that trial I went on vacation I evaluated my life my career and decided I'm not going to do this anymore I didn't know what I was going to do, but when I came back, uh, I was driving down out of the mountains. I live in the central Sierra Nevada <coughs> in California, just south of Yosemite National Park. And I heard a public service announcement for a new master's degree program in peacemaking and conflict studies. And ultimately, I enrolled, and it changed my life. And I, my partners and I couldn't come to agreement about a new kind of peacemaking, problem-solving practice rather than being a trial lawyer. So I gave him one week's notice, left $10 million on the table, and walked out just like that. And started my own peacemaking practice on, on November 1st, 2000. And that's how it all started. Best, best, best decision I've ever made. So, so you got into an argument over this. Well, they tried to argue with me. They threatened me and they, yeah. you know, tried to intimidate me. And, and I, unfortunately I had enough training that I knew what was going on and I just, I was non-reactive to the whole thing. And, actually the final ultimatum was given to me on a friday and i came back monday i say i quit i'll be gone on friday and everybody was shocked nobody could believe that i was calling their bluff because you read their emotions i did right? well at that point in time not not yet <laughs> i had not it took me 4 4 or 5 more years before i developed the skill but i knew enough yeah. about conflict yeah. and arguing that and i knew uh, i had studied the power dynamics extensively and so i understood what they were trying to do is exert power over me, but, you know, they didn't have any power over me. What they thought was important, what they thought they could withhold from me or threaten me was something that I did not value. And therefore it was easy for me to say goodbye. And it was, and it was very difficult for them to understand how I could do that. You you
0: kind of believe in, in, in listening people into, into into moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember, God bless her, Judge Judy. Very often on her on her show, will will often say to her to the to the 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 people in the courtroom. God gave you two of these and one of these for a reason, right? So you should listen twice as much as you speak. And I think this kind of fits a little bit in, into the into the what what you're saying is you have got to do a lot more listening. Because, again, the political and social climate that we live in, people are more apt to just spout off with their mouth instead of listening to what the other person is saying to try and arrive
1: at at a reasonable you know, uh, right. uh, solution. There, there are a couple of things and, to think about, though. You've got to know what to listen for. So, Jet, we, we are never really taught how to listen. Point. You know, as children, we're not taught how to listen. We're taught really to shut up, but we're really not taught how to listen. So today, for for most people, there is no such thing as listening. They're very poor. Most people are very poor listeners. When we're in conversation with somebody, when somebody else is talking, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next, and only paying maybe two percent of my attention onto you. And the other person senses that. And of course, when things get hot, that's when the that's when we see the escalation. The other thing that that you've mentioned a couple of times about how our society has lost the ability to listen. I think this is amplified by social media because social media has one purpose and one purpose only: keeping eyeballs on the screen. And the way they do that is by stirring up emotions. And uh, you know, the more emotional and more outrageous the post or tweet can be, the more likely there's going to be a reactive response that's going to get people that are going to get people escalated. And now they're in it and they take that same behavior that they use on social media and they use it in their interpersonal reactions. And to your point, we have severe degradation of civil discourse in our society. You know,
0: what's, what is interesting is, you know, and I I tried to to read as much as I could about you, not only in what you're doing, but, but just who, who else Doug Knoll is, and what's fascinating to me is you mentioned tai chi your tai chi training. Uh you're also an aircraft
1: and helicopter pilot? Yeah. Yeah, I have a, I have a few accomplishments, right. I fly aer- <laughs> I've got a <laughs> instrument rated multi-engine uh tailwheel airplanes and rotorcraft helicopters, right?
0: So in other words if you do not want to really get too involved in any kind of an argument, you can just get in a, in a helicopter and just take off and
1: Go well, it's not quite that easy, and I would never, <laughs> ever want to fly when I'm emotionally upset. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, not and a good, I, I, I don't think you ever, you would ever want to walk away from an argument because uh, no. you can, you can de-escalate it in ninety seconds or less.
1: Yeah. I mean, my wife and I never fight. We never fight. Uh, in fact, the other day, she was it was Christmas, Christmas Day, maybe. We were down in Southern California uh, visiting my family, and my mother's ninety-fifth birthday was on Monday. And she got really anxious about something. And I just said, You're really anxious and upset and worried and concerned. Just layer lower lowered her right down and that. And we we don't, we're not passive aggressive, we're not codependent, we're intimate, and we never fight. Ever. We just pay attention to each other's emotions. See, and, and just just saying that, just to say to a
0: husband and a wife that that if you can follow this simple advice and everything, you will never have another argument again.
1: Correct, never.
0: It it uh, it's. I'm saying, wait a minute, Doug. I just I can't get on board with that. I just don't understand that. I mean, my wife and I can argue over
1: what to order at dinner. Well, uh, there are some people who enjoy the sport of arguing, right? Well, that's true. I don't. For I hate it because I I lived in it for 22 years. Twenty. 20- Five years if you count law school and i hate it uh i i'm i i find it to be very uncomfortable so i'm perfectly happy to and arguing you know there are different kinds of arguing i can get up in front of a court and argue a case that's a different kind of argument right than fighting to be right where where there's emotion involved and and i'm feeling not heard and i'm pissed off and i'm angry and i want the other person to hurt as much as i'm hurting uh Or I want to be heard and the other person's not hearing me and I'm really mad about that because I feel disrespected. Those are the kinds of situations where my skills help eliminate all that stuff. And medically, arguing is not not good for you either. There's a ton of studies out there that show that interpersonal conflict in families, for a whole bunch of different reasons, leads to really bad life outcomes medically later in life. There are just a ton of studies out there that show this.
0: And, and what role can meditation uh, play in 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 people's emotions or their ability to take that deep breath and and just lower lower the blood pressure lower lower that that resentment?
1: Well, I've been meditating for uh, almost fifty years. Let me think, more than fifty years, fifty four years, fifty yeah, fifty. I've been meditating for fifty four years, um, as a contemplative practice. It has many, 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 many benefits, but I have found that uh, no matter how many thousands of hours you spend in meditation, it will, still does not prepare you to maintain composure and compassion when you get triggered and reactive because somebody just insulted or disrespected you. The only thing that works are the skills that I'm teaching people now, because when you when you are when I reflect on your emotions, Stuart, I become egoless. I'm so focused on you that I'm ignoring your words. I'm not even paying attention to what you're saying. I'm just focused on your emotions and what you're experiencing and reflecting that back to you. And that puts me in a place of compassion and equanimity. It's like I've got a force field around me and nothing you can say or do is going to get me upset. And not only that, I've done this for so long that there's nothing you can do that's going to surprise me. I have seen it all. And, and, The repertoire of human behaviors around anger and frustration and arguments is very limited. Only four or five different things that people do. And what looks like chaos to you is predictable, ordinary, normal behavior to me. And I know exactly what to do. And I have total confidence in what I'm going to do and how it's going to work and how long it's going to take. So there's no reason for me to get upset. So, you know, this is commonplace for you and and and
0: in any conversation you get into, if it if it does start to move towards an argumentative state, you are very, very well aware of how to handle it. Is that really something that 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 the average Joe can
1: learn how to do? Absolutely in four to, in less than four to six weeks. It's not that it's just learning how to reorient yourself to listen to emotions rather than to words. Like I said, we've trained over twenty thousand people incarcerated in prison, how to do this. And they've all learned it successfully and de-escalated violence in prisons. If I can teach a murderer to be a peacemaker, don't you think I can teach you how to do it?
0: Yeah. that And that's, and that's a very, very interesting comment to make because I think anybody that's watching or listening to this is is, is saying to themselves, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess I could be able to learn how to do it because my, my arguments are very minor, consi- con, you know, compared to what a a convicted murderer goes through, especially one who knows that they're going to be within that cell the rest of their their life. That's right. So they have a they have a choice: either be completely argumentative the rest of the days that they have, or become more peaceful in That's their right. in their coexistence. Right. Is this a reason why why many many times? Those that are incarcerated for for life and everything will often turn to to uh, education, absolutely learning learning the law, learning uh, learning various uh, uh, you know things in education in order to get their mind, as you said, rewired
1: from anger to uh, uh, you know emotions that they can accept. Many many lifers were uh, in gangs and committed murders uh, when they were very young and extremely damaged human beings. And now they're in prison for life. It takes them until their forties to start to simmer down a little bit. And then not many, some, many, not all, but many start recognizing that they can turn their lives around. And so, and depending on the, on the prison system, um, they can get their AA degree, their BA degree, their master's and even doctorate. So I've, I've had, several incarcerated students of mine who had PhDs that they earned in, in, uh, in prison.
0: Well, and, and, and also, I think that there are a lot of these very, very angry young people that, uh, that it, through their, their, uh, uh, prison time, uh, find religion, uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and become at peace with themselves, uh, because they, pick up scripture and they start to learn scripture and realize that that's, that's their, another form of redemption for them.
1: Right. They're all, they're, they're all different There are many, many different paths that people in prison can take to rehabilitate them. So they just have to want to change. And it's that, it's that wanting to change is the motivator. Um, and not all of them do. Not all of them want to change. Many of them right. remain violent and have short lives <laughs> Uh, but there are plenty of others who do who do make the shift, and even though they're within prison, they still have fulfilling lives. Now,
0: how does it make you feel when you have trained some of these hardened criminals uh, into into being pa- peacemakers, and they turn around and they now start to teach it to other inmates and everything, and say, "Well, this is this is a program that I learned from Doug Knoll." And and I I want to I
1: want to share it with you. Well, it's of course extremely satisfying. It's probably one of the most meaningful things I've ever done in my life. Both Laurel and I feel this way, and <clears throat> and we have seen so many transformations that that you just you cannot once you start doing this work you can't stop doing it um, because the opportunity to serve people who really need help and are hungry for the help is extremely gratifying and um it's the most probably the most important work i've i've done
0: and your and your program
1: you said is is being being shared nationwide now we're in we we are in we're in uh actively right now i think we're in 15 california prisons we got we 15 or at any given time we're in 15 california prisons we we've active in a a prison in connecticut we're probably going to spread in 2023 to the rest of the connecticut system uh we're active in 14 prisons in greece we've got a startup in denmark a women's prison in denmark a startup in nairobi kenya and a startup in northern italy and that's just the beginning wow
0: so so what else does doug
1: Noll do (laughs) to get his mind off of all of this well uh i'm 72 years old very active i'm a skier and i live like i said live in the central Sierra nevada we've got snow right above us right now coming down when these big storms coming through finally so in the winter time you'll catch me up on the mountain skiing for three or four hours you're also a ski instructor aren't you a level three certified ski instructor and um i also uh Play jazz violin, jazz and blues violin. And so every day for at least an hour, hour and a half, I'm on my violin, playing, learning, practicing. You got you got no time to argue with anybody. Well, the trick, <laughs> the trick store is not to own a television set. Really? <laughs> I haven't owned I haven't owned a television set in forty years. No kidding. Yeah. No. And I when finally you
0: when you, you don't know, have, it, yeah, I was I finally say. found
1: one. <laughs> there you know you, it's amazing what a time sink a television is and if you get rid of the television set then you got all this freedom to do all these other things and, well, you got you got and the get, time
0: to play jazz violin you know, and to, to 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 read and go whitewater
1: rafting and exactly. skiing and all yeah go fly fishing i mean i've been fly fishing since i was 12 so and all these things that i love to do i make i can make time for and i can have a very vibrant professional life you know, helping people. I help more people every day than I helped in 22 years as a trial lawyer.
0: Do you feel that, that all of these other outside interests, your, your, your love of Tai Chi and, and, and skiing and fly fishing and, and, and playing jazz violin, that all of those are elements that help you develop the program that, that you're teaching others.
1: Well, I, you know, it's hard to it's hard to say there's a cause and effect. I'm a, I've am always been a pretty curious man. And so, some things just attract me. And I say, hey, I think I want to try. I want to learn how to do that. And But what I've learned mostly as a result of my childhood, which was not a happy time at all, uh, I learned how to learn. And then I learned how to teach. And so typically when I take something on, I get to a level where I can teach it. And so I understand how people learn. I understand adult learning. I understand how to teach things to people to break it down really simple, step by step, how to do it. Most everybody talks about the what. No, very few people talk about how to do the what. I teach how to do the what. So if you came to me and said, I want to learn how to stop fights and arguments forever, I'm not going to say, well, all you have to do is listen to emotions. That's telling you what to do, but not how to do it. I've got a step by step process that teaches you exactly how to do it. And so all of these things that I've learned over the years all um, improve my ability to teach and help people learn and experience what I've learned and experienced.
0: Well, in, in addition to, to what you're doing with the Prison of Peace Project and, uh, and, and your book, uh, Deescalate, uh, you've gotten involved in, in a program that you, that you call Difficult Conversations, yeah,
1: All right,
0: okay. <laughs> yeah. This is, t- tell us a
1: little bit more about difficult
0: conversations
1: this is a project that i i kind of conceived of in uh in october of this year in october of 2022 or this, so it was last year um and i just realized that there's almost no person out there that doesn't have a difficult conversation they're avoiding having with somebody they know and it could be a business problem it could be a personal problem um but i thought wouldn't it be cool to be able to facilitate a difficult conversation for people and wouldn't it be even more fun to do it for absolutely free i mean my hourly rate is through the roof but i would do this absolutely free with one condition and and the hinky condition is we're going to stream this live on youtube because i want to show people real people who have a lot of tension between them, how in one hour they can have a difficult conversation turn into a transformational experience. And the more people that can see this actually happening live in the moment can be convinced that the skills that I'm talking about really work. And so I've started the project and I'm surprised that I haven't live streamed any yet. Um, If you don't want to live stream it, you got to pay me a lot of money. But uh, but if you want to do it for free, I'm happy to do it for free over Zoom. And I've had I've had some heavy stuff I've had deal with parents with suicidal kids. Um, I've dealt with adult children dealing with rape and sexual abuse. Um, It's been some pretty heavy duty stuff. And and but we get through it and it's all been transformational. Every single one has been transformational. It's amazing. So. It's great to be able to talk about it here. Maybe people that are listening say, oh, I want to check this out. So you can go to the go to web page and, and it explains what the process is and what my conditions are. And, uh, you know, obviously both people in the conversation have to agree to it, but I will guarantee that it will transform. That conversation will be transformational. It'll be a life-changing moment for whoever participates in it. I can guarantee that.
0: I mean, anybody who is in a situation like that they would be foolish not to take advantage of an opportunity, uh, as you say, gratis, to to be involved in something like this in order to find out what is what the conflict is uh, between you and your spouse or your significant other or could be a business partner or whatever uh, to take advantage of this and and go into a problem because this this would be is educational for you too, isn't it?
1: Well, obviously, every time that I get to facilitate a difficult conversation or use these skills, I get I learn I keep learning. And I, you know, I obviously with experience get better and better at it. Um, so so I enjoy doing it, but I really enjoy helping people do it themselves. And uh, the whole secret to having a difficult conversation is to learning how to listen to emotions. And when you learn how to do that, and I teach you, you learn, I coach everybody in the conversation how to do this. As you learn how to do this, you begin to see how everything shifts. And what was really difficult becomes pretty easy. And people are relaxed and grateful and validated at the end of the process. And you feel that people that that take advantage of this
0: program of yours can can then maybe turn around and pay it forward like, like your, your, uh, uh, incarcerated prisoners do. Well, it takes
1: a little bit of training to learn how to, how to, how to, it takes some training to learn how to do this without a coach. And it takes some tr- even more training to learn how to teach it or facilitate it. And I do that. I teach yeah. people how to do this on their own. And I also teach them how to facilitate and ultimately teach people how to do this. So, There are various levels of skill that you can develop depending upon what your interest is. If you just had the difficult conversation with me, you probably would have a rudimentary idea of how the skills work because you did it, but it wouldn't be ingrained in you. It wouldn't be habitual. And so you would be more likely than not go back to your old habits. You really have to take the training and coaching with me for for a period of time to, to really embed deeply into you so it just becomes a part of who you are. But the core of all of it is being
0: able to recognize emotions, recognize reading, reading into people's emotions in order to to better deal with them. That's
1: right. Here's the thing that's pretty cool about that. I I was going to say that our brains are hardwired to read each other's emotions. And this goes all the way back to evolutionary biology. Um, we didn't have, as hominids, we didn't develop vocabulary until about 230,000 years ago with the advent of the mastery of fire, which then allowed us to render animal feet fat and meat and start to make it edible and digestible. And that right. created a huge calorie intake, which allowed for a, a huge expansion of the cranial capacity and the hypoglossal nerve and all this stuff. Before that, hominids only communicated through emotion. And so our brains were hardwired through evolutionary pressure to be able to respond to other people's emotional expressions and grunts and body language instantly and accurately. Because if you couldn't, you didn't survive. And we still have all of that in us today. The problem is that because we live under this myth of rationality, we never take the time to develop this skill. And I teach people how to develop this skill. It's innate within us. And all you have to do is awaken it and it works perfectly. Well,
0: folks, visit Doug's website to get more information. Reach out to him if you've got if you've got questions. But deescalate is the book, and and he he can calm an argument in ninety seconds or less. And the part that fascinates me most is how I can never have another argument with my wife. And I've been married almost forty nine years, and you know to to be able to look back and say. All that arguing we did when we were younger—it's—it's it's all history, you know.
1: Because I listened to Doug Knoll. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all with—it's easily within your grasp, it. I mean, it's really, really easily within your grasp. Well, it's within Doug, anybody's grasp. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to to
0: share your expertise, your your knowledge, your your passion for for what you're doing with my audience. And I hope that that. Uh, Folks have, have really gathered something positive from it because we don't need to be argumentative. There is another way around it. And reach out to Doug if you have any questions. And I hope you'll come back and join me again next week for another edition of Someone You Should Know. I always end my show by saying be yourself because everyone else is already taken. And thanks again for being with us on Someone You Should Know. And thanks again to my guest, Doug Knoll. You're welcome, Stuart. Someone you should know.